Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Please take your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. You know, we put our son Eddie in Christian daycare, actually into a school at an Assembly of God church uh, near our home in Southern California. And we had the opportunity from time to time to join him for, in his little four or five-year-old life, join him for lunch with all the kids and parent day. And before, as the food was set out and taken out of their lunch boxes, uh, before the kids were allowed to eat, uh, Miss Linda, who was the head of the school, she would get up and she would get all the kids' attention as she normally would, and she would teach, she would say a prayer, and the kids would all repeat it together. And the prayer was this, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Amen, no talking. And they would repeat that over and over again. Now, we were new believers. Uh, I was, we were new believers in learning how to pray and learning how to run our home. And when I heard this prayer, I thought, man, that might be a great prayer to bring home in our dinner table. God is great. God is good. Let, him, let us thank him for our food. Amen. No talking. Now, of course, today that would be amen, no phone. But it, it changes with the times. Well, it didn't really work out that way because it wasn't really the kind of prayer that gave us that sense of appreciation. I see what Miss Linda was teaching the kids and having the kids run around here, there's some rote and there's some repetition that we teach the kids to help them focus on what's before them. I think that's one of the reasons why we ask everyone to close their eyes, bow their heads, and fold their hands because that pretty much covers all the stuff the kids want to do instead of pray. So there they are, all in one area. But you know you don't have to pray with your hands folded. Your prayer eyes don't have to be closed. Uh, you don't even need to bow your head in order to pray. There's a lot of different postures and a lot of different ways to pray. I mean, if you're driving, you better keep your eyes open. You better keep your hands on the wheel and stay focused as you're communicating with God. So the posture is not as important as the position. The position of the body, the posture of the body, is not more important than the position of the heart. And over the years, our prayers have changed around the dinner table. Our prayers have changed. They have become more elaborate at times. And then they've reverted back to some quick one to bless the food so we don't get sick. But prayer is more than just thanking God or asking God for a list of requests. And when I mention the word prayer, you bring it up in Christian circles it brings up great joy on the one hand, because as you look at your life right now, you're where you want to be. The circumstances of your life might have changed you in relation to prayer. You might, see being, you might see growth in that area. You might see some additions. You might see some added answered prayer. You might see the miraculous of God happen because you've tapped in to God by obediently praying. But more often, what happens when prayer is mentioned among Christians is there's great frustration, perhaps even condemnation. Because if there's one thing that we can all grow in, it's our prayer lives. We go up and down. 
We may stay down for a long time. We may go up for a, for a while. It seems that communicating with others or talking at work or talking on the phone or, or texting or emailing or communicating of a lot of different ways with a lot of different people seems to be something we can do better than prayer. And yet prayer is such a privilege. We all know that we could pray more and we all know that we should pray more and we all know that we would pray more if we could just gain a greater victory over the weakness of our flesh, over the weakness of our lack of desire. Because I think that among us all, wherever the stage of our prayer lives are, we all desire a deeper, richer, stronger prayer life. But it's a difficult discipline. It requires an investment of our time. It requires our effort. Remember in Mark chapter 14, verse 38, Jesus said, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body, or you might remember it, the flesh is weak. And that's true for us. Prayer is a difficult discipline, but it's also a delightful discussion with God. It, it gives us, when we're, when we're praying and even seeing the corner, you know, even as we begin to pray, and we've been praying for years now, a couple years together, five, ten minutes here, uh, we've got more prayer in the marriage group, we more prayer upstairs with the kids and downstairs. Even, even though the God has pivoted our church into more prayer, I have met people that are still not satisfied. They said, we should be praying more, Pastor. We should be praying more, Pastor. We should be praying more, Pastor. And, and they get frustrated and begin to start judging others because of their prayer life. Do you know that's not God's heart for you to become a judge of everyone? Siri, I'm not talking to you. Uh, that, it's, it's not God's will for you to become a judge of someone else's prayer life. For me, it's a blessing to see what a change took place as we made a commitment, because it's not just in the building. We don't measure everything in our spiritual lives by this building. You realize that. It's not just what happens in the four walls. This is all experimentation. This is all testing. This is a place to develop a habit that carries on all the time that you're not here. Not just here. Well, you know what? We, we should be praying more, Pastor. Are you praying more? Yes, I'm praying more. Praise God. Who else should be praying more? Well, everybody should be praying more. You know, there's probably some truth to that. But if you're praying more, then God's got a hold of your heart. And it sounds like part of your prayer life, and maybe I'm just speaking to someone today, it sounds like maybe part of your prayer life will be praying for the prayerlessness because God answers those. And what does he do sometimes to get our attention? He brings a crisis. I mean, I've never been more desperate in my prayers than when great crisis hit my life. That's just the way it is. I wish I could say that I'm always at the mountaintop. I'm always crying out to God. I don't have time to talk to anyone else. But I'll tell you what, when I'm in crisis, that's exactly. I'm maybe not on the mountaintop. I might be in the depth of the valley, but I don't really want to talk to anyone but God. And I become very desperate. And I'm sure that you share that testimony as well. Prayer life isn't for us to judge each other. Prayer life isn't for us to measure one another. Our prayer life isn't to be frustrated with someone else and their lack of prayer. We're to be patient with one another, helping one another. Because when we pray, God hears us. When we pray, God answers us. What we, when we pray, God encourages us. And it was Robert Murray McShane that once wrote, and I quote, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. And a lot of people talk about prayer, but the statistics show that not many people pray. I mean, everybody says they pray, 
but not many people really do it. You know, and I looked up some things, some quotes. Even Madonna and Snoop Dogg say they pray before every concert. And you have to wonder what that sounds like. And yet, is it really prayer? It sounds very spiritual. It sounds like the hip thing to say. But for some people, praying is just an act of futility. The only prayer that God's listening for from an unbeliever is, I'm a sinner, God, save me. Everything else is just empty words. You know, for the hypocrite, for the believing hypocrite, not the unbeliever, but for the believer, what the Lord's wanting to hear is repentance so that the channel is open for a relationship again. In order for prayer to be effective, there needs to be relationship, commitment, submission, and get this, in order for prayer to be effective, there needs to be honesty. Because you, you, know, you come to God and you're trying to, trying to pull one on God or somehow like he doesn't know what's going on in your life. And so you describe something and you only give 75% of the story. Do you think God's like, oh, all right, I thought it was worse, but now that I hear you, everything's fine, everything's great. Like he knows. So when, when you enter into that and you kind of just shade things and move things, like God is wanting honesty. The Bible says that when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So if walking in the light and honest, light speaking of honesty, light speaking of nothing hidden, nothing being able to hid, when we live in a relationship with each other where we're not hiding anything, we're living in full honesty with one another to the best of our ability, and we get fellowship, what do you think that's like before you with God living in the light? Because if you lie to God, you're only lying to yourself. That's, you're only fooling yourself. You're only walking in deception perhaps even self-deception. We were talking about it earlier today in our staff meeting of going through the book on being a servant of God together, reading it, talking about it, and how important it is for us to recognize the importance of surrendering to him and being honest with him and, and living in the light, being honest with one another, re recognizing his call upon our lives. Recognizing that the fuel of ministry and service is love, honest love, truthful love. And so today in chapter 9, we begin a study in the life of Daniel where we see one of his prayers. And there's power in prayer. He's a great example of a prayerful believer in the old covenant. He's not praying with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's not praying with the fullness of Messiah in his life. He's praying in a real relationship with God before what you and I have been given. And his life is bathed and surrounded by prayer. Remember, we've already looked back in chapter 6. It was his prayer life that got him in trouble with King Darius. It was his prayer life that was identified by his enemies to try to take advantage of him to have him killed. His enemies then in chapter 6 couldn't find anything evil in his life. So they took something good and called it evil. And so it shouldn't surprise us as we continue to follow Daniel's life that we find him praying in chapter 9. He's reading and praying. Exactly what we encourage every time we gather. The best thing you can do in your spiritual life. The thing that will bring you the most progress. The thing that will bring you the quickest maturity. The thing that will overwhelm your life with direction and encouragement and strength and conviction is to read your Bible every day and pray every day. And where we find Daniel in chapter 9, he's reading the book of Jeremiah and he's praying. And God is using him in a powerful way. 
You're looking for the secret to a good God. You're, you're going to the bookstore, going to Amazon. You're looking for the book. What's the secret to a spiritual life? What, is it, what, what can I do? What can I learn? What can I listen to? Hey, if you don't have a book or CDs, you don't have MP3s, you have an app, no internet, nothing, read your Bible and pray every day. And God will give you glorious growth in your life. And so it doesn't surprise us, Daniel's reading and praying, verse 1, it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from the reading of the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. So Daniel's a serious student of the word. As he's reading Jeremiah, he is learning about the captivity. So hold your place here. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. It's going to be to the left if you are from Daniel. And we'll see what he is reading. Jeremiah 25 in verse 11. It says, This entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then after 70 years of captivity are over, I'll punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins, says the Lord, and I will make the country of the Babylonians a wasteland forever. I will bring upon them all the terrors I have promised in this book, all the penalties announced by Jeremiah against the nations, and many nations and great kings will enslave the Babylonians just as they enslave my people. I'll punish them in proportion to the suffering they cause my people. So Daniel read that and knew that they were at the end of the captivity. The end was up. He's an old man now, an older man. He had lived through it all and now he's seeing the end. And I just sense in our generation that we're seeing the end. And often we'll refer to that as being in the last days but let me give you another perspective. We are eyewitnesses of seeing the end. And you know, there's a few things in my life that I didn't really believe I would be the generation that would see the end of. I don't mean the, the end times. I've always believed that I would be a part of that urgent return of the Lord. But there's some things in the practical realm of my life where I just didn't think I would be the one to see it with my own eyes. And there's one in particular. I don't want to share it with you. But you can, maybe you have one in your life where you're just watching something dissolve, you're watching something dissipate, you're watching something die, and you just didn't think you'd ever see that. You thought, man, this thing's going to last forever, it's just going to go on forever, it's going to be great, and then you're watching it dissolve. And Daniel, he's watching the end. He's watching the end of captivity. He's coming to the end, and it's his life that he gets to see. And in this case, it's a good end in many ways because captivity is over and God begins to work again with the nation of Israel and his heart's rejoicing. In my case, I'm watching something, I've seen something come to an end that is not bringing me joy at all. And it brings me heartache. I was even on the phone this morning. I called a friend on the way to the office today just to talk about some things and just say, man, it is so discouraging 
And, and it is, we just face these things in our lives that could be just so discouraging. Daniel's on the other end. He's coming to the end, but this is a good end. And what does it do? It causes him to pray. And so notice in verse one, four, it says, it says, I pray to the Lord my God and confess. So I'm gonna give you a few things that are gonna help us understand prayer here. We'll cover a few today and then we'll cover some next time. So let's look at effective prayer in the life of Daniel. Let me give you number one. Effective prayer initiates with serious worship. Effective prayer starts with, you could say, worship. Come back to verse three. I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with him. You might be reading in the New King James, I set my face. Like it came with a commitment. And it came with prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting go together. I think I want to reintroduce and come in a future study and just talk about and be reminded about this topic of fasting. It is a lot, just like memorizing the Bible, putting God's word in our heart, how it's not very popular today, neither is fasting. And I mean, if you think, I don't need to ask for hands or anything, but when's the last time you had a real fast before the Lord? Fast a day, 10 days, 25 days, where you really gave something up for the Lord. Maybe a full meal, full food fast, just water only, or, or you're really laying out the different ways that you can tell your flesh no. And you can do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. You think that there's prayer lacking. What, what really is lacking in the church today is fasting. And not just because the church called a fast. From time to time we do that. But because the Holy Spirit called a fast. Remember Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say when you think about it, when you want to do it. So when you, it's expected that we fast. The abstaining of food or something in order to feed our spirit. So he sets his prayer and his prayer is directed toward God. And that's key. He starts out, I prayed, verse four, to the Lord my God. His prayer is directed toward God. He says, O Lord, you're great and awesome. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commandments. So notice, verse four, he addresses toward God. Verse seven, Lord, you are in the right. Verse 14, he says, Picking up in verse 14. Therefore the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right. Verse 15. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people. These would all be wonderful verses just in a new worship song. Extolling the virtues of God and his awesome presence. That's why, we, that's why we begin every service with worship and song. It sets the tone. Puts us in a worshipful mode. It's our response to God and who he is, and getting our minds focused on him. And if we don't start with worship, we start with Bible study, the Bible study starts with prayer. Let's all just remember, folks, you're not here for the pastor, you're not here for Bible study, you're here to worship God. Your heart is to be directed toward God. We're to be thinking about God, singing to God, studying what God has to say, communing with God in the elements of communion, ministering to one another, how? In the name of God. And praying together where we're coming together as a group think about it it's so powerful we come together as a group and we're all talking about God together that's powerful stuff and the church has abandoned these spiritual disciplines the church has abandoned the things that God blesses and so we start as Daniel does hey this is all about him and that's how he starts his prayer with a worshipful heart directed toward God secondly you're going to notice scattered throughout this prayer that effective prayer includes sincere confession. Now think about this for a second. 
many prayers don't necessarily involve confession as much as they involve requests. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, please go over here. Please take care of this. Do this. Please do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. And lacking that sense, okay, now that my heart is set on God, then like Isaiah, I come to the conclusion, woe is me. (laughs) Woe is me. If we come to a gathering like this and we don't come into a, a fullness of understanding who God is, then we are missing out on the reality of God reminding us, woe is me. Not in a condemning way, not to be feel beat up all the time, kind of maybe, maybe you were raised that way, always being put down. God doesn't put you down. He lifts you up. But you'll never agree with God to be lifted up until you acknowledge that you need to be lifted up. That there's sin in my life. That I'm not a perfect person. And I'm not just a bumper sticker that I'm not a perfect person. God's not finished with me yet. But rather I've sinned against a holy and a righteous God that hasn't stopped since I've been born again. I haven't become sinless. You haven't become sinless. In your life, you're going to see a pattern of sinning less for sure. But you haven't stopped sinning. And you carry those things unconfessed. You begin to put a load on your shoulders that you were never designed to carry. God has removed that from you, the guilt and shame. And over and over, Daniel's here, and what does he keep saying? And look at verse 5. We have sinned. Did you notice he says we? We have sinned and done wrong. Verse 5. We have rebelled against you, scorned your commands and regulations. Verse 6. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you're right, but as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true for all of us, including the people of Judah and the Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far, wherever you have driven us because our disloyalty to you. O Lord, verse 8, we and our kings, princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. Have you got the point yet? When's the last time you heard a prayer like that in your own lips? You, you include yourself in the sins of our church. You include yourself in the sins of the American church, of the world church, of the Western church, of the lukewarm church, of the, no, it's always someone else, but not you. And God wants you to know that it's we have sinned. Not you have sinned, we have sinned. We collectively. I love this about Daniel. Daniel came to Babylon when he was a kid it wasn't his sin personally individually that brought on the captivity of the Babylonians it was his dad his granddad wasn't him he received favor coming to Babylon he received protection coming to Babylon he lived a faithful upright life in Babylon but when it comes down to it 
and he sees the destruction of his country and he sees the destruction of his people and he sees the destruction of his family. He sees destruction of those connected to him. His prayer was we, we. A few years ago, I took out my pen and I started to circle all the we's, all the us's, the hours in his prayer. And then I did it in the New King James. I came up to over 40 times. He acknowledges that he's part of the problem. How many things would be settled in our church if we would just start by acknowledging that we're part of the problem? How many marriages would just get back on track if both the offense, offending and the offended party, they both just said, we're part of the problem. It's not all your fault. We have a lot of problems. But instead, by the time we get into our office, it's always, he did this, she did that, he doesn't want to do this, she doesn't want to. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm sure as bad as it is, if you guys will commit to seek the Lord together and allow him to heal and forgive and work in your hearts, God can save your marriage. He's not going to save your marriage by pointing the finger and pushing away and blame, 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 excuse, 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 which was another topic in our time as a team this morning. It's so easy to make excuses but what we need to do is take personal responsibility for ourselves. And then once we recognize in our own relationship with God that we have sinned, that once we can say I have sinned, then we can say we have sinned. Once I admit for myself that I have failed God, then I can say we have failed God. And that's the language that, that when we begin to say we, then we can work on that together. But it's very difficult when there's a lack of cooperation. When this church picks on that church and this pastor doesn't like that pastor and, and this husband doesn't like that wife and that wife doesn't like her husband and before you know it, all this division, all the, then, then what happens? Where there's division, it's gonna fall. And, and I'm just convinced with more and more as I get closer to seeing the Lord face to face that when God looks down upon us, he doesn't see our human divisions. I mean, he does see them because he's God and when he sees them, he calls us to repentance like in 1 Corinthians. He tells Paul to tell them, what are you guys doing? I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of, I'm of, I'm of. Listen, this is one body. We are part of the body of Christ. And we're just a little small sliver of the body of Christ. And we need to recognize that we're not better or worse than anyone else. We are who we are by the grace of God. He does what he does through us by his grace. He chooses to give abundance, it's by his grace. He chooses to take away, it's by his grace grace and we're not any better than church down the street or the, the, again that that church that preaches I, I would say that we are better than a group, gathering of people where the pastor's teaching false doctrine absolutely but I'm talking about in relationship all the one true churches like if 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 we would just recognize that the word is we man we can make some great progress we could learn from Daniel 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 stop praying like that it wasn't you and Daniel go what are you talking about of course it was me. Of course it was me. Jesus was put on that cross because of me. Because of my sin. And you're not a worse sinner than I am. And I'm not a worse sinner than you. We're all in the same desperate need for the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. And maybe you avoided some of the sin that I didn't avoid. And my testimony is pretty gnarly and yours is not. But how many sin, how much sin does it take to be separated from God? You were born into sin. And if you avoided some of the nonsense that I wasn't able to avoid, I'm happy for you. Take my word for it. You don't need to go there. You've been blessed by avoiding great pain and sorrow in your life. 
I think of a lot of us like to pray opposite the way of Daniel. Maybe even in some of your groups, as you're learning to pray, you might be with someone that's just, just kind of bitter. And their prayer is all about someone else. And you know, I've shared this before, but bitterness is a lot like bad breath, is it not? Everybody knows you have it, but you. And it's just so obvious. And there you are, and, and you know, you're really hurt. That's where it comes from. You've been hurt. You've been offended. It, some kind of misunderstanding, a mismax expectation. And if you and I, we don't learn how to deal with those in our lives, we're going to hurt a lot of people because hurting people have a tendency to hurt people. And, and so our prayer lives aren't we, it's they. But that's just, those are just words of division. And that we, we would come to the place like Daniel and we recognize we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. God is just like, boom, right there, ready to work. But instead, what happens? We like to press the issue all the way to the very bitter end. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. They made the mistake. They're the ones. Not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I just did what I thought I was supposed to do. And doesn't that sound a lot like our culture today? There's a phrase for that. They call it a victim mentality. You just play the victim. And even though something's been done to you, you're not a victim because Jesus Christ took the penalty for that sin upon himself. And the Bible teaches the exact opposite. We are not victims in Christ. We are victors. He has given us strength. And even in the worst of the worst condition, you don't have to be identified by what someone did to you. You can be identified by what someone did for you. Did you guys write that down? I don't see a lot of note taking right now. Like you don't need to be defined by what somebody did to you. We learn to be defined by what somebody did for us. The separation or the, the sacrifice and the exchange that Jesus did. And instead, a lot of us like to make excuses for our behavior. We like to blame it on someone else. We like to excuse ourselves from so much. We like to shift blame. We like some are very passive aggressive in this and some are very aggressive and not passive at all. But as the great evangelist D.L. Moody once said, and I quote, excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men off to sleep in. And you just never make any progress when you make excuses. Or as one person said, and I picked this up over the years, if you get good at making excuses, that's all you'll be good for. If you, be, if you become good at making excuses in your life, then that's all you'll become good for. And that's not the will of God for our lives. Daniel's mature here. And as he initiates his prayer in worship, then he continues his prayer in sincere confession. Confessing the sins. Lord, it's us. We did it. Forgive us. Forgive me. I mean, look at the things he says. Look at verse 5. Real quick here. He says, we have sinned, done wrong, rebelled. We've rebelled against you. We've scorned your commands. Words in the New King James, sinned, iniquity, wickedly, rebelled, departed. Look at verse 8. Lord, we are covered with shame because we sinned against you. Look at verse 8. That was verse 8. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> we have not obeyed. Look at verse 11. 
All Israel has disobeyed, turned away, refusing to listen. He doesn't say, we all have character flaws, you know God. We've got this codependent problem. We made a little boo-boo here and there. He says, no, 70 years of captivity is because of our sin. And we need you to forgive us. And his confession was sincere, calling it sin. Let me just say, I know there's a discomfort when it comes to sin. I know that people, that word, I like to use that word much later in the conversation with someone than earlier. Because I want at least to take two, three minutes to build some trust with me. So I'll use words like mistake, errors, stumblings. I'll use a lot of things that people will agree with me. Have you ever made mistakes? Sure, I make mistakes all the time. I made one yesterday at work. And have you ever stumbled? Have you ever hurt somebody's feeling? I, I want to walk them along. Yes, yes, yes. Well, guess what? What you call stumbling's mistakes, God calls sin. Oh, now you're not one of those ones. Yeah, I am actually. And, and listen, that this is the good news about sin. The good news about sin is that God has given a remedy for sin to eradicate it, completely remove it to completely remove the pain and the penalty of it and eventually completely remove the act of sin from our lives when we shed this earthly body and we wake up in the presence of God. Sin will be gone and completely taken care of. The mistakes and the things, those, those, those are not under the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. He, rele he releases from addictions. He releases from pain, bitterness. He gives a release from hopelessness and loneliness. All of those areas are provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so until you come clean with the reality that you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God, you're going to continue on your own way, making up your own religion, only intensifying the consequences and difficulties of what you're going through right now. You've got to come clean. You have to come clean. There's just no way around it. Being in this room, you're almost there, but you've got to come clean. Listening to this on some Christian radio station, I know it's a trip. You're not listening to the rock music. You're listening to this Christian radio station. You've got to come clean. You're listening to this because somebody sent you a link and click and YouTube, and now you're, you've got to come clean. And the way you come clean is by confessing your sins. You repent of them. You acknowledge like this guy Daniel did thousands of years ago. We have sinned. And you come to God and say, I have sinned. And it's the most freeing confession you'll ever make in your life. Because what you've been trying to get a handle on in your life is actually not as complicated as you think it is. It's not as complicated and as convoluted as all your life feels right now. The root cause of your life is your rebellion against God. And the root cause of the problem in all of our lives is our rebellion against God. And yet he doesn't save groups. He saves people one by one. Even as I was reminded today, that thief on the cross, what glorious words this must have been to hear in his final breaths on earth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> oh man, what freeing words. Something transacted between Jesus Christ hanging on a Roman cross and a thief hanging on a Roman cross. Something transaction in the spiritual realm there that he was born again hanging on a cross that spiritual life was given to him in his last moments of life. So Father, we're asking for that work of your spirit today in reminding us the significance of our own sin 
and, and that sense of coming clean. I pray right now that phrase is so important that you would bring people to a place of coming clean in their life. And I just, I let that phrase sit among us. I let that phrase hang out in the airwaves on the radio. I let that phrase be on the internet and on someone's phone right now. Come clean. Come clean. Walk, live in the light of honesty. Admit and confess. Stop pointing the finger. Stop blaming someone else. Come clean first in our own lives and trust you with the other person, this situation, the marriage, the friendship, the ministry, the future, that you might, I mean, I just, God, I just sense that today there's just a hindrance of faith because of sin. Come clean. Come clean. Come clean. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.